Newly stocked on the shelves is box number 512 with your hosts, Aeon and the Lioness, Black Trans Women, and Excellent and Defying All Life Expectations. The show begins now. Hey y'all, welcome back to Box Number 5 Soul Podcast, Grown Black Trans Women Talk. I'm Aeon. And I'm the Lioness. Girl. How y'all doing? How you doing, girl? Um, today is a good day. The weekend was kind of heavy. If you guys got to watch our impromptu live last night, we got to talk a little bit about how we both have been processing the grief. And uh, delving into joy from this past weekend, from the the deaths of our fallen sisters to the Supreme Court ruling that came out on Monday. So this weekend, it's just been a mixed bag of emotions. But today is a light day. It's It's a better day. So and talk a little bit about the drag march, sis. My sis had the pleasure of going to a drag march in Chicago. How was it? It was good. I mean, I can't really talk about it because I really feel like like I went, but it, it wasn't like by the time I got there, they had already marched. So it was just like, who no. But um, one of my friends, shout out to my baby Martez, um, got me up out of the house. And I just, I think it was more important for me to just go out there and be with the people and be out of the house. Uh, I really wasn't like close enough to the stage and they didn't have like any um, speakers to amplify what they were saying. So I really couldn't hear anything, but Mm -hmm. it was important for me to just get out of the house and uh, be around the people and to also organize around black queer people. Right. Well, you know, a space I felt safe and I didn't have to worry about getting attacked or getting jumped and, so it was it was really it was really nice to get me up out of the house on Sunday. What about you? You know what? Same, 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 same. Um this weekend was about joy for me. I caught up on some of my favorite shows. Um we did an insecure breakdown on um last night on our live show and that was fun to do so that was something that gave me a little bit of joy i was able to have some good conversations with um some other my sisters i did a um a live with tilt um trans individuals living their truth the organization that i'm the executive director of here in atlanta and we did a live um broadcast with my sister toya washington who's also an advocate who um lives here and in Birmingham, and she works with two different organizations. So, yeah, I love her down. I love, it was just a beautiful weekend. And so, yeah, girl, and amidst all of the horror, amidst the the the, the tension from the protesting, there were victories. Right. Right. No, yeah, they, there were victories, and hopefully there will be many more victories. And I just... I know for me, throughout all of the tragedy, I just feel encouraged that we as a community are moving in the right direction. Also, the um, the march that they, the the big march that they had in Brooklyn, New York, that was led um, for Black trans people, and the All Black Lives Matter march in LA, where it was largely centered and ran by Black trans and queer people. Like stuff like that just gives me hope that. The work that all of us are doing is doing is just not in vain. So right. you just, it's all it's all about the practice of taking the good 
with the bad and just processing the grief but not letting it keep you down because there's still so much work to do and there's just so many goals that we have to accomplish and um, dismantling the system and creating freedom for all of us so I guess to kind of to start well before we um, get into starting things on a lighter note definitely want to remind you guys to if you want to become a sponsor of our podcast, you may do so by becoming a, a monthly sponsor through our Anchor page. You can donate for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, any monies that you donate to the show goes directly back into the show so we can pay for equipment, so we can pay to use the technology because doing this is not free. Recording it and doing the live streams is are not free and also you should want to support black trans people while they're living and thriving and not waiting until we die or something happens to us to support us support us to so we can continue to do work that continues to liberate and connect communities so transition shout out to our youtube so our youtube our youtube um listeners shout out to all of the listeners on the different platforms right feel free to like signal boost what we do that's another way you can support so that right. means like, follow, click the bell, do all the things you need to do so that you can really, really let the world know that you really support us and that'll move us up in algorithms and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to get our following up. So yes, thank you. Right. And shout out to Room Magazine last week. They feature us on a list of black and queer podcasts to listen to. Weren't you and honored? Yeah, because we like we're, we're newbies. We're newbies in the game. We're very new, we're very fresh, very dedicated, but very new. But it was great to be listed among other podcasts that are well known and well respected. So it, it it's just a it's just confirmation that we're doing us and we're doing the right things and that mm -hmm. people are seeing the work that we're doing. So definitely And the time is now. Yes. All stars, motherfucking five, bitch. Ooh. I am so excited about this show, bitch. I am. This is going to be a good season. This is going to be a good season. Where, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start with this, girl? You you do the you do the breakdown, and I give the exciting commentary, Miss Thing. Well, it, it's just it. Well, I don't even know what to break down because we're only two episodes in, but I just feel like this. This cast of girls is a really gr good cast of girls. Uh, Are you surprised that Angina went home? I, I kind of am, but I kind of get why that she went home. I feel like a lot of girls come, come to All Stars thinking that it's like the original run of their season. It's like, no, sis, you come to, you, you come to All Stars to play the game. Right, it's supposed to be a reinvention, bitch. Right, and I felt like because it had been so long since she had been on Drag Race, period, is she thought like the nostalgia of her being there would be enough to carry her through. It's like, no, sis, when you come to All Stars, honey, you have to come to play. Because right? all these girls have nostalgia. That's why she brought them back, man. Right, and I just felt like, I felt like she let the, the, she let the competition get the best of her. 
I feel like she looked good. She was in her head from the very beginning. It was right. almost like she had psyched herself out. And I think, too, I think when she was on the show, that's the thing about being on these shows that you may have gotten on early and now she got a big budget. I think, I don't think she realized how much her drag had to step up. Right. Like, beyond just being sickening and giving a look, bitch. Her, she really was like, you have to be a multi talented artist. There are going to be recordings, there are going to be dances, bitch. They're going to be a stage show. It's like really trying to go on Broadway now to be on RuPaul's Drag. Right. I feel like, like these girls won't be prepared for that. Right. And when I think of All Stars, bitch, I think of Runways, bitch. Your runway has got to be on point, bitch. Because, like, and also, I feel like throughout all of the all-stars with the exception of season one if you were a real shaky girl during your original season you can't then come back to all-stars and be a shaky girl because you don't have the benefit of relying on the lip sync for your life to to carry you over exactly right? that's that's this is really dancing people what do you think about the new rules um i think it's a cute twist i feel like that i I get the impression that they're not really bringing the lip sync assassin girls that are truly lip sync assassins that have been on the show, i.e. a majority of the black um, queens that have been on that show. Um, mm. Sorry. I, I just think, you know, I think they're doing it just to cycle through fan favorites to get them more screen time. But I'm like, Miss Thing, if you're going to give me a, a, if you're going to give me a, a lipstick assassin, bitch. Give me a lipstick assassin. Like I want to see Coco. I want to see Raja O'Hara. I want to see the Kennedy David. And there's no shade to Alyssa Edwards, but I don't think of her or Evie oddly as lipstick assassin. Like, give me what I signed up for. Don't like now, Evie. I did, I did see. I didn't see her necessarily as a lipstick assassin, but I did. But that bitch will. I I feel like no shade. I feel like Evie gets off get you know, kind of is able to be more of a, a all-around kind of like artist when she put when she does hers more than it's about her lips right but i feel like she did that lip sync the other week miss thing yeah she, no she she turned it out she turned it out but i would like when you say lip sync assassin i wouldn't have thought of oh Edie oddly and then when she was on her season she like excluding the finale she had only she was only in the bottom two one time when she looked like against brooklyn heights so but battle even then but i get what you're saying that does that's not an assassin t assassin is the bitch that may not have been the best girl but she she sent bitches home right which who was from evie season was roger o'hara no shade because miss thing was in the bottom like four times bitch like it was no shade <laughs> But other than that, um, I, I I'm excited for the show. That run, that runway from last week, bitch, I was gagging. First of from the runway. Song, how you feel about how Shay did? Shay Coulee. Black excellence, Miss Lang. Like she like black excellence. I live I live for it from the back of the runway to the front to the side. Like she like Shay is one of those girls, like. I, I kind of feel like Shay is going to win this season. I do too. Because she's just one of them girls. She's just so confident and she just... And like, you can't beat that polish. Right. She's just so confident. And the people want her to win. Um, I, I, I Honestly, I feel like she's going to be in the top four. I feel like Mariah... I'm not, not Mariah. Um, 
Um, Alexis Mateo. Alexis no? Mateo. Alexis Mateo is going to be a top four girl. I don't know. Those are the only two that I can really say for sure. Because Alexis, I don't. A, I hate to say it. I think Miss Cracker could pull it. It could, but they're giving Miss Cracker the villain edit, and Miss Cracker's aesthetic, it just doesn't do it for me. Like on the, the runway last week, her little Jewish pr- princess, it looked late. Like it looked oh. late. It, it looked late. It was not flattering. I didn't like the hair. It was just, it just was not cute. It was not appealing to me. What do you think about Miss, um, what's her name? I'm, 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 I'm trying to think. Um, Juju B. Miss Juju. Oh, top four. She's going to be in the top four. For I forgot, sure. I forgot about you. I, I, li- I live for Juju B because Juju B just looks cunt. She just looks like Laotian, Banji cunt. She do um, give you that. She give you dark skin, Asian cunt, like for real, for real. Right. I, I definitely see Juju B in the top four. The, but the only thing is, is like every time Juju B is on a season, she's never she's never the girl that wins the challenge. She's either the girl that's in the bottom or the girl that scores high but never wins the challenge. And then when you have a girl like Shay out there, it's like, is Juju going to be able to do enough to outshine Shay? So, but I, lo- I love Juju B. She looked gorgeous on the... Um, the the only critique I have about her runway, I kind of felt like it was too basic. Like it looked amazing, but for all stars, it looked too basic for me. But I still I still live for the aesthetic and what she was given. Uh, one of the one of the surprises for me has been Miss India Favor. Uh, yes, ma'am. Because she really did it. I remember watching her on her season. And also, I have this app called Pluto, um, which is like free cable. But they have a RuPaul's Drag Race station, which they they play like all the old, the classic RuPaul season. So like seasons one through five. And I, uh-huh. I've seen her season three since we've been in quarantine multiple times. She really didn't do well on her season. So to see her come out the gate, and when, and just to, I like the way India paints, because India paints like a black drag queen. Like, it's it's a a very, like, intense contours, and, like, it's very intense. So, I I like India. I like India. Like, I feel like she has a black drag mom. Right. I'm like, I'm like, there's somebody black in there, because the way that you paint, bitch, she she (laughs) paints like she is going to go sing, and I'm telling you, I'm not leaving, bitch. She she paints paints for the nick and the neck, honey. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. She paints like the old girl. Right, right. Like it's the very like I'm a drag queen. Um, but I I I love the runway. I I love the runway. I'm lo- loving the season. My only complaint about the season is RuPaul's gowns. They look horrible. They look a mess. Uh, it's like <laughs> it's just like why, like why. <laughs> Critique. He had that same critique. He was like, I don't care for he didn't care for her gowns to be real on um on um the last regular sequence. Right. It's like it's is is something wrong? Did you fall out with somebody? Or like <laughs> like what what's going on? Cause yeah, you're right. Even on the last se- no shade, actually the last two seasons, regular seasons of drag race, 
her looks have just been kind of off. And I've always, I've never really understood, like, why she, like, you know how Tyra used to do when they went into critiques, like, they would have a challenge and then she would take a picture of the same challenge as, like, the teacher. Like, I never understood why RuPaul doesn't wear something that's reflective of the theme of the runway for that week's episode. Like, I, I just never have understood that. You know what, bitch? That is no shade. That's a good point. Like, if, if the root, if it's, if it's root excellence or whatever, then she picks her favorite root excellence moment. If it's whatever, if it's a, 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 a a, a nautical theme, bitch. You be nautical. That's a good point, sis. Right. I just don't like it. Just, and it, it just seemed like the the dresses, like the dresses, are just bad. Like the the cuts, the color choices, the fabric, and then the wig. It's more, it's more fabric and flow of garment. It gives some of these have looked like PVC, like Miss Thing. <laughs> <laughs> that don't even look like a material Miss Thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and then like the wig the wigs just you, sometimes the wigs be on point and then other times it's like like why is the hairline so harsh or why is the hairline so far back? <laughs> sometimes you be like oh it's cute and sometimes you look at it you go wig bitch on sight bitch like wig and RuPaul at least from my memory was always legendary to me for her way her units lay. Right, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. So, something's going on. The ma- the face is on point. The face is the best that it has ever looked. But she she needs to pull that together because it, it, that dress from last week's runway. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like it's just like the colors don't even like. And I was trying to make it make sense with the <laughs> the red sequins and the turquoise and the fuchsia, but I, and the bow. And I'm just like. So we so we just not even going to act like we on camera. Okay. Because okay. <laughs> that gave me very much. She should have just took that dress on the road and gave it at one of her shows. Right. Like, time TV dress rule. I know you got better. Right. Yeah. But other than that, I think this is going to be a great... Oh, I forgot about Miss Blair motherfucking St. Clair, bitch. Blair St. Clair. Another bitch that looks like she's uh, been learning from black queens or she got so... Like, just the way she... Ugh, that little thing is cunt. That little thing is cunt. She looked amazing. Even though her runway last week, it divided people, I got where she was coming from with her... Um, Ruth wanted this to be a... Ruth wanted this to be the fish season, though. Because these all these girls, none of these girls really were, like, the chop-chop. Except for... I was, was the chop-chop on their season. Right. Like, she wanted them to be, what I mean is, like, appearance-wise, because, you know, sometimes Rue can kind of gravitate for the artsy girls, the artsy-fartsy girls. I feel like this season, she really wanted it to be kind of like a glam, or at least girls that could kind of give, like you said, one that's really dropping the ball kind of right now was Miss Cracker, but for the most part, she was trying to go for girls that was kind of kind. Right. No, no, all of these girls this season are kind, and I look forward to continuing watching this season. It brings me a lot of joy. Like I said, I live for the runway song, and I just I just want them RuPaul gowns to improve, because at this point, it's no excuse. And you can't tell me that people aren't, like, throwing you designs, and, th- like, so you're choosing to go out there and look crazy. Like, you're choosing it. Mm-hmm. Very much so. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's like, this, this is a choice. 
I know you see it because you're used to critiquing people. What's the tea? <laughs> right. Michelle, do you need to have a, a private conversation with your sis, honey? Because this is <laughs> this is not the tea. This is this is not the tea. But pivot into our next topic today. Today's episode. Can I, do, can I do the lead in and then you go take it from there? Sure. So this next topic today, it was very important that we address um the the, the one of the victories and i am privileged to be able to do this podcast with someone that i think um is a dope trans woman one because she's committed to the work and she's definitely committed to making sure that she at least even even before this podcast she was a sister that i could always count on that would give me the breakdowns for things that would help me understand legal precedent she was always updating me as cases went on particularly this case and so my sisters are going to talk to you a little bit about the Supreme Court um, decision, and she's going to break it down. And I'm very excited for her to do this. And we wanted to take time to do this today because we're aware that it, we, we are unique and that my sister's unique skill set in this moment is necessary. It's nothing like having it broken down, down home, from your own, by your own. And we have the privilege of having a trans attorney here. Um, and so, Brianna, take it away, darling. So, like the lioness said, the community, we are all happy because we got a favorable decision in the Supreme Court case, uh, now a landmark Supreme Court decision that says that transgender and gay people are covered under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So, I feel like we discussed this on a previous episode, but what... What happened in this case is, this Supreme Court case is, it was a, uh, we didn't just d- d- talk about it. What happened was that one of the plaintiffs, Amy Stevens, um, a trans woman who was, who transitioned on her job at a funeral home and she was fired after she transitioned, she passed away like a couple weeks ago. So she passed before the Supreme Court delivered a decision on her case, but Basically, how this case came about is it was a consolidation of three individual cases. So it was a trans woman and it was a gay man and I believe another gay man. But the cases essentially asked the same question. Uh, Are trans and gay people covered under Title VII? Because what happened in all of the cases is that these these queer individuals were fired from their jobs when it was revealed that they were gay or trans. And also, so typically, why why this particular case or these cases went to the Supreme Court is that there was a circuit split um, in how to interpret um, this question. So you had some circuits in the federal circuit that said that trans and uh, or LGBTQ people can bring claims of sex discrimination under Title VII. But then you had some circuits which were in more conservative areas that said that, no, you can't you can't bring LGBT claims of um, discrimination under Title VII because LGBTQ people are not covered um, under sex. So a little bit, so let's backtrack. Let's go back to what the Civil Rights Act of 1964 Title VII says. 
So basically, this was the law that was created in 1964, and it says that in the areas of employment, employers cannot um, discriminate on the basis of race, sex, or any other protected categories um, enumerated in the statute. So, and that's one that's so whenever you are working for a big company because there are requirements in order to bring a claim under the statute but whenever you um bring a claim the discrimination has to be based on one of those protected categories typically race um and in this case um sex so pivoting back to what i previously said there was a a circuit split where some circuits said yes they can bring these claims and then there are other circuits that said no we can't bring these claims so basically how how the federal court system works the supreme court only um accepts cases when they are attempting to resolve some type of um circuit split or resolve a dispute on how law should be interpreted so that's why this case was so big because um the supreme court has never asked this question and the beauty of this case and why it's such a big deal for our community is that because the supreme court has held that no held that yes title seven does protect um lgbtq people um un under the classification of sex what this means is that now in all 50 states, if you are clearly discriminated against because you are trans or you are gay, that in all 50 states, you can bring a claim in federal court for uh, sex discrimination. How does that affect local laws and states and places where people have this, that have given permission for people to do that? Well, I think it, I think it, it doesn't, well, what, what it does for local laws is it, give, it gives folks a way, like for instance, in Mississippi, and I don't know if we talked about this on a show, but there was a story that came out before this decision came out when the woman was refused a job from the Applebee's because the hiring manager found out she was trans. What it does is that now that this is the, that this is the law of the land, instead of that young lady um, not being able to it gives the young lady access to go to federal courts to get relief. Because even though we know Mississippi for being oppressive and not having laws for us, it's like, well, bump that because like, fuck the, the Mississippi Supreme or the Mississippi State Courts. I now can get into federal court, um, have my case heard, and also get the relief that I need. So it kind of gives... Um, people, particularly people like in those um, states that were in circuits that said that LGBTQ people cannot bring these claims, it gives them kind of a way to circumvent like their state judicial system and go directly into the federal system. And um, now they can bring these claims and in the event that the claims are appealed to the their circuits, it's like, well, we don't have an issue of whether um, trans or gay people are not protected under this law. They are protected. So we're going to throw it back to the trial court and you need to give this person the re relief for the discrimination that they experience. So like, 
I love that. So it allows us to be able to now move it to a different, a different uh, forum. Well, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we could, yeah. And typically you want to get into the federal court system anyway, because they're more overall, while there are splits, the the federal courts have traditionally over time they've been more um lenient or helpful to minorities as a whole like even going back to um civil rights like the civil rights movement back in the 60s and race a lot of the things that jumped off were because of supreme court decisions about racism that was occurring like in Atlanta Georgia in Birmingham, Alabama. So it kind of gives you a way to um, to get out of the state courts. And therein lies the problem with a lot of conservatives, why they really, why, why, uh, why typically they don't like a lot of federal government involvement. They want to just allow the states to keep on um, acting independently, which leads to them discriminating against their marginalized communities. Like they want to maintain that state power. And what this decision says, like a lot of the, like the um, same sex marriage decision, like a lot of the, the, um, the Supreme, like um, Love and Be Virginia with interracial marriages. What this does is it's like, now you have another avenue to get relief especially if you're in a state that doesn't recognize um, your gender identity or your sexual orientation. And it means a lot for people that live in states like um, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Florida, Arkansas, a lot of those oppressive states that are unwilling to recognize um, LGBTQ rights, it gives folks another avenue to get into the courts so they can get some form of justice. Typically, um, it'll be like monetary relief uh, for the discrimination. So it, in essence, that's what that means. That's dope, sis. Thank you for answering that. Yeah, so I, I'm really happy about the decision um, because even for me, I've, I've, I've been entertaining the idea of moving down south just because you know, I want to own my own home. Like, is there certain things that you can do living down south that you can't do living up north as far as money and economics and all of that? But yeah. I am very aware to the um, systemic and cultural um, values about being a Black trans woman living in the south and the realities of what that looks like, especially as somebody that wants to work, wants to be able to take care of themselves and knowing that there's a possibility that if I'm in a state that doesn't have any anti-discrimination laws at the state level, right, that uh -huh. there's a chance that I could be fired for um, being trans and not having any avenue to get any relief to compensate myself for the experience that, you know, I've been through. Right. Well, I mean, and so this is exciting. So um, have you had given any deeper thought to moving to Atlanta? Because we would love to have you. Well, I'm still, I'm still thinking about it. It's still on the table. It will have to be a couple of more um, things in place. But, you know, the possibility, the possibilities are endless. Like, and that's the beauty of this decision. It just gives, it gives people more options and it gives people more, um, freedoms to be able to navigate and to move but um atlanta is definitely an option nashville is an option 
um, Dallas and or Houston as an option. So I'm, I'm still entertaining the idea. I know I have a year or two in me to live in New York. I definitely want to have that experience. But this decision just opened so many doors for me to feel comfortable to move down there and to be able to get work and to protect myself. So I'm very thankful for this. And I think it should also be noted that the sacrifice, and like we brought up on a previous episode when we talked about Amy Stevens, the sacrifice that Amy made and because of part, because she got fired from her job, because of her being in poverty, because of her not being able to afford the the medical treatments that she needed to sustain her life, these are the type of situations that happen when people with power are allowed to discriminate against us. And then, and it's so easy for us to go back into poverty because we are marginalized and we have this marginalized identity. So I really want people to recognize recognize that the collateral consequences of being uh, of experiencing people being transphobic to you like they have it has real life consequences that you ultimately end up making sacrifices that you don't even get to live to see the benefit of those word that's so true so true and god rest in peace for her i mean but I, I will say her legacy continued and, 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 it's, and it's powerful. And that's why it's important that we, in this world, in this day and time now, that we, we don't allow people to push us over because you never know. That woman had no idea when she was working her job all those years that, that this would happen and that she would be in a place where she would change laws for the entire country. So that just goes to show you can be just a little guy. And if you really are persistent and, you you are the type of person that is willing to pursue it. You can pursue it, you know. Right. And you can make lasting change for the world. Right. So I I am happy about this decision, and I, I'm just I'm just happy. Like this was, and I was nervous because the composition of the Supreme Court it really could have went the other way. Like it honestly could have went the other way, and it's. While this episode will be dedicated to uh, our next, uh, this decision and our next steps forward as the trans community, it should also be interesting to note that the Supreme, Supreme Court declined to hear a case on reevaluating the doctrine of uh, qualified immunity and whether it should be abolished. Because it's like, we as a community, particularly us as Black trans people, it's like, we never can go all the way with our wins. It's like when we get one thing, it feels like we lose something else. So it's, it, but also it's a reminder that we have to keep on fighting so we can liberate everyone. But um, yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we either gonna have to get rid of that doctrine of qualified immunity or we, we're gonna continue on our path to defunding the police. So we um, lessen the amount of interactions between police officers and black people. So we won't even have to analyze whether the police officer is entitled to qualified immunity. Can you explain what qualified immunity? I mean, I kind of know and I was able to pick up the context clues just from our conversations, but if you could explain to our listeners right now, what is qualified immunity? So qualified immunity is a doctrine that that shields police officers 
when they are um, being sued over civil rights violations. So basically it's a doctrine that um, protects police officers when they engage in misconduct by simply saying that, well, if if they did an action um, during the course of their job or in furtherance of their job, then they cannot be held civilly um, liable for any damages to citizens because it was done in the furtherance of their job. And the problem with this doctrine is that this doctrine has been used to justify a lot of the um, harms that police have caused to um, people, particularly black and brown people, uh, especially when they're um, acting outside of the scope of their employment. So that's another piece of qualified immunity. So when you bring a qualified immunity claim, um, the plaintiff, you really have to show, in order to show that the police officer is not entitled to to qualified immunity, and excuse me, qualified immunity is a defense that the police can bring to um, shield themselves from like a um, civil rights 1983 claim of like excessive force or um, failure to intervene or like any one of like the in using it into relation to the George Floyd case, the Asian officer that was standing there, and then the um, so I think they, allegedly there was another black officer out of frame that were guarding what was happening and keeping people away. They, under this doctrine, would be able to say, "I was in the duty of doing my police work, so therefore I can't be liable for not for failing to intervene." Right. So basically, like the qualified immunity, you can make a defense. Well, me standing there, that was like that wasn't that was within the scope of my employment. And because it was within the scope of my employment, I can't then be held like you can't I can't be held civilly liable because I was acting within the scope of my employment. Well, what has happened, what what has happened is that through a lot of bad um, case law that um, police departments or police officers have been able to widely expand what the scope of their employment as police officers include, um, uh-huh. which is often like a lot of murder and um, violent harm of black and brown and queer people. So you have you have had police officers that have killed black and brown people on a job when they weren't supposed to do it or they were clearly overstepping their boundaries, but because of bad precedent and this law that um, police lawyers have been able to use, they have been able to successfully argue that, hey, they're entitled to use qualified immunity because based on this case that happened X amount of years ago, this 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 counts as um, this constitute this was within the scope of their employment. So the reason that this doctrine you want we want to get it to the Supreme Court is we want the Supreme Court to say, hey, y'all need to really um, give us an answer. Is this qualified immunity or is not? Ideally, with the the pro citizen side us wanting to narrow the scope of what const- what um, constitutes um, scope of employment. And basically we want, like, we want to say, if you're killing people while you're in uniform, that is clearly beyond the scope of the employment. But what happens with a lot of courts is that they don't want to, they don't want to be tasked with oversight and over-management of police departments because it's like, well, it's too inconvenient or we would have to, 
um, it would all it would, fl- it would flood. Like, oh, we would have too many cases. Right. It would. Fl- it was like the floodgates argument. It's like, oh, it would flood the courts with litigations, and we don't want to have to be tasked with um, o- providing oversights for these individual departments. So we just want to let them do whatever they want to do because it's, it's just too much work for us. But people are literally dying and being able to escape liability, at least civilly, behind. And we're not even talking about on a, a criminal, um, on a criminal scale. We're talking about civilly. You're able to escape civilly and not have to pay these families who you ruined their family for generations for now. So, I, I like I said, it's great on one end that we got the Title Seven ruling that we want. But as a black, as a black trans woman, the fact that the Supreme Court and I don't know what the split or the breakdown was for how many had to vote for the court to review it. But the fact that we couldn't even get the court to even, with everything that's going on, with all of the Black people that are continuing to get murdered, even after George Floyd, that we can't get the court to really, really do away with this doctrine. Because just because you are a police officer, I don't feel like you should be entitled. Personally, I don't feel like you should be entitled to um, qualified immunity. But that that just makes me more passionate about um the defending the police movement um the demilitar demilitarizing the police movement and really um getting the police up out of here and creating um alternative forms of um community safety and public safety and things like that you know what you also touched on something very powerful just now that's related to this i think part of the the what the problem that people have even why we had to have this LGBT um, decision made is because people are afraid of change. And I feel like this defund the police movement is the latest um, thing that is the de thing to like be afraid of. And I don't think people realize that what we're saying is we're not trying to say defund the police leaving communities vulnerable to any and everybody. We're saying take down the prison industrial complex, make it to where the police are responsible for keeping peace and or keeping peace and order rather than being the agents of chaos. Let us, let's, let's actually make sure that they have a, a police accountability to community, more community involvement in policing, and let's dismantle this prison industrial complex. And I feel like this decision is not any different in the sense that what we're saying is, is that you have to let society and culture evolve to embrace all people and let all people live to a certain respectable level of equity. Just like how we deserve to work as trans folk, black people deserve to be able to navigate freely. And I love that on this podcast, we do both. We're able to talk eloquently about both sides of who we are because we are multifaceted individuals but these are the two sides that are oftentimes put against one another and I love that we are able to marry not just in our identity but in our words and our messaging that both are relevant and both matter right and I guess just pivoting um to the to the next topic so what does what does this ruling mean going forward or what what is next because i've had some people inbox me and they were like so 
do we even need the Equality Act? Like, are we done? And it's like, no, we we're not we're not done. This ruling was a major uh, tool for us to now use. But like, please don't get it twisted. Just because we had had this ruling, it doesn't mean that people are going to stop disc- um, discriminating against us or stop treating us badly or stop being transphobic. But like I said earlier, now we have an additional tool that when they do it that we can then go sue them for money for a lot of money and you know typically the money uh the remedy of money is a deterrent for people to not engage in bad behavior which is kind of true but really not because if people know that all they have to do is pay you to they can treat you wrong and then the only uh the only disadvantages that they have to pay you off well they're just going to put more money into their insurance for their lawyers or their insurance Mm -hmm. when they have to settle these lawsuits so this is just one little bitty tool um and also this ruling does not like we still uh have issues in housing and education right this this section of Title Seven does not apply to those particular areas and the laws that govern um, those. So this is why, and this is pivoting to my topic, this is why we still need the Equality Act. It's a shame that the Equality Act has not passed yet. Uh, just, just like a little refresher for what the Equality Act is. The Equality Act, they've actually been trying to get this bill to pass for some time now. But in its essence, it's a a bill that I believe would be an addendum or like a new form of the Civil Rights Act that would um, protect all people, that would protect all um, protected categories of people on the basis of race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity in the areas of employment in the areas of housing education like like this act is supposed to remedy everything um so we don't have to rely on a court a supreme court that is heavily politicized to vote in our favor or we don't have to do these piecemeal solutions where we have to wait on the perfect plaintiff or the perfect set of facts in order to bring the case. Like if Congress was doing its job, we could have the we could have gotten this bill passed through the House, which I think it did pass through the House, but it didn't go through the Senate. And that's usually where we start out at. But we still need the Equality Act because what we know and what history has taught us that even with these landmark Supreme Court rulings, the other side, they just find more offensive and crafty ways to practice their bigotry, but to keep it concealed and not to be overt with it. The same thing has happened with race. Um, the same thing, you know, the, like history shows us that when once when this pendulum swings one way, it swings back the other way, and the other side gets more offensive and more crafty. So we need the Equality Act to kind of ad- and to address everything, to protect everybody, particularly the most marginalized groups of people, so that at least in this area. It can be done once and for all, and we don't have to keep waiting for these cases, and we don't have so, to keep waiting for these judges. I have a question. So this is um, so does the Equality Act also protect 
uh, our ability to be insured by providers and things of that nature, because I know that that's something also that the president has recently allowed was the executive order that he sent out for providers or at least um, um, insurance providers to no longer be required to cover trans individuals. And there was writing in there that indicated that if you are trans and your you, your insurance does decide to keep you that they're not required, that they must go off of sex as designated as assigned at birth. So like well, a lot of our trans procedures may not be covered even if they're not actively throwing away people. So what were your thoughts there, sis? What were you gonna well, I can't really, I don't really recall if it covered, if it would cover um, healthcare. Um, I'm not really sure, sure on that. I know it would, um, it was definitely supposed to cover like public accommodations. I'm not sure if insurance and all of that will be um, covered under that. But the Obama administration had already came out with recommendations regarding um, treatment of trans people through healthcare services, but because of Trump, um, you know that was he's rolled he's rolled back those protections. But I'm pretty sure that now, now that's something that could be included or could be written into the act. But you know the act, it it was so I'm I'm looking at it now. Um, it says that it would. Um, Okay, yeah, this act would be would amend the Civil Rights Act, um, which already protects the categories of race and gender and sex, um, to also prohibit um, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity in employment, housing, public accommodations, public education, federal funding, credit, and the jury system. So it would so it would cover. Um, all of these areas, which is why it was so important when we did the census um, this year. That's why people were so up in arms when Trump, the Trump administration purposely removed um, removed uh, gender identity and sexual orientation and other indicators from the census because if we if we're not counted in those discrete particular ways, it justifies them not providing our communities with funds and resources that are ad allocated by the federal government. And it, it continues to promote this erasure of our communities. And it allows the people in power to keep mistreating us in the ways, and the government to keep mistreating us in the ways that they have. So like we still, like we, like we need to keep up this momentum. We need to uh, get behind this legislation, also get behind legislation of, of police. Well, we can't even call it police reform because I don't even think that's what we want anymore. Because even with police reform, it wasn't enough. And I know President Trump signed some, some irrelevant um, police reform thing, but it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. And we have to, again, we have to... Oh, excuse me. We have, yeah, we have to, we, we can't let, we can't just one victory stop our momentum. There's just so many other things that we do. But to answer the question that people have been asking me, this is not, the, this decision, the Amy Stevens case, this is not the end all be all. It only applies to employment and employment discrimination. But we have all of those categories. If somebody was asking me, could you use the same like legal strategy for employment discrimination 
um, for like housing and other and I'm and I simply said no because it's different because it's different um it's different areas of law it's different burdens of proof it's different um structures and I believe only employment discrimination is where you can bring a disparate impact claim and I don't believe that you can bring a disparate impact claim if you're claiming educational discrimination or public housing discrimination and even with the ruling that we got on the Amy Stevens case, because of bad case law, and because, to be honest, the Supreme Court, the majority of the Supreme Court favor, because we live in a capitalistic world, the Supreme Court and a lot of the court systems, they're going to favor big business. So a lot of the, and I won't go in depth because I don't want to confuse y'all, because I know some of y'all are probably confused, but because of the case law, particularly in the area of employment discrimination, the Supreme Court has really watered down um, through its um, Supreme Court decisions throughout the decades has really watered down the power and the effectiveness of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Because in case after case after case, it gives big business employers um, like um, it gives them loopholes to escape liability for discrimination. So pivoting back to employment discrimination. So when you bring a those employment discrimination claim, it employs like a burden shifting framework. So if I say X corporation has discriminated against me, I must first bring proof that, hey, you discriminated against me. Then... Um said employer is allowed to bring evidence to say, no, we didn't um, discriminate against you and this is why. So uh -huh. then it's back on me to show that even if they're, even if they do have evidence, it's pretext for something else, which sounds really simple in nature, but when you're one little plaintiff trying to um, go against a big corporation and they rebut what you're saying with all of this evidence that they spent millions and millions of dollars on or they had these army of lawyers it's kind of hard for you the plaintiff to overcome because basically when they bring that evidence you kind of have to disprove and address everything and if you don't address everything you could lose your case at the summary judgment stage before you even get to a trial with um what's the movie name with um Julia Roberts where she's an attorney that actually saw goes against one of those big corps with the big lawyers? Aaron Brockovich. Aaron Brockovich, I think, is a great for you for our listeners that kind of want to get an idea of what she's talking about. That's an example. The Aaron Brockovich um a movie um is an, a great example of what she's how one person going against a big business is a really, really big deal and how most people just simply just don't have the capacity to address it. And that's how these corporations win. And when these cases get to the big courts, a lot of times small plaintiffs have, have tired out, their funds have exhausted. And, and, and then at this point, what kind of defense can you actually mount, mount to such an army? Right. So it's not, so a lot of times it doesn't really come down to who's right or wrong. It comes down to the jurisprudence and it comes to ha who has the most money to battle these big corporations because these corporations are willing they literally because they're not taxed the way that they should be by the government 
they literally spare no expense when it comes to defending defending these employment discrimination claims and they will literally spend every they will put more money into defending all of these various lawsuits than actually putting the money into their companies to create tangible long-term programs that remedies all of the racism and transphobia and homo like there are more there are more invested in, in suppressing it than actually changing the culture of their organizations and um yeah so while this ruling is great for us the equality act would be better right right because it would be more comprehensive and it would it would ensure that regardless across board that there are protections in place to keep from discriminating on several indicators of life not just employment right and and like the employment discrimination law this at least the supreme court case law it's just it's just so bad for people that have been wrong and have been discriminated against because there's another theory a mixed motive theory that even after all of the burden shifting is done if an employer and this is Supreme Court law, if an employer could come up with the alternative reason while they fired you, even, even, if they, even if the plaintiff showed that, hey, this was discrimination, if the employer could come up with the alternative reason why they would have fired you, the court is willing to side with them if they come up with a, another reason why so they could have fired you. I harassed you every day and I threatened that if you didn't change how you dress, I'm going to fire you. And then the day you come in five minutes late, I fire you. I can use the fact that you were five minutes late right. as why real reason why I fired you instead of, even though I have all the evidence to prove you sent me emails threatening me about how I look and how I dress. It doesn't matter if I can say you were five minutes late. Right. Wow. Yeah, so we yeah, it's just a lot of bad case law, particularly in employment discrimination. But the while I'm happy the work is not done, we still have more work to do. Um, we got now we have to turn our focus to um, defunding the police and these police systems, and also passing this Equality Act, so we don't have to wait on the next Supreme Court case. We don't have to like we need and also getting these Republican um, senators um, out of office that keep, that purposely are uh, stalling progress by not voting on stuff, by um, rejecting stuff. Like we got, we got to get these senators out of office because they like, we could have been past the Equality Act a long time ago. And also when we're passing these legislations, going all the way. We're not leaving anybody on the table. We're not leaving black people off the table. We're not leaving incarcerated people off the table. We're not leaving trans and gay people. Like, take all of us or don't give us the law at all. Because if you do that, we're going to be in the same situation another 50 years from now because we left people behind. Exactly. I'm so happy for this this impartation that you just gave us, girl. Because to be honest, I don't think anywhere else right now are you guys going to be able to get what she just gave you from a Black queer lens, from a Black trans woman doing a podcast right now. And I'm just proud to say that I'm a part of this historical moment, even in just you being able to get your gifts on this platform to help educate our listeners on 
the nuances of these laws and why things matter and why we can't get excited when we get these small victories and forget that this is just one battle in a great war that will have to be fought on multiple fronts. And I love that you were able to to, to, to pivot and answer my questions. Thank you so much, Brianna. And I, I just, I'm, I, once again, I'm just, this is just confirmation that I am in the right place with the right person. Thank you. And, um, Thank you. Thank you guys for supporting us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you for getting the word out there. And uh, in addition to becoming sponsors of our show, continue to share our show, continue to talk about our show, continue to get the word out there. Like I said, we are very grassroots. We are starting from the bottom and we're going to get to the top. But just continue to um, put share us on your network. Um, put us on. I don't think anybody is doing it how we are doing it. And I, I honestly feel like we have a good product. Um, also, do you want to promote the live this Friday? I would love to promote the live this Friday. So here at Box Number 512 Podcast, we understood that it was imperative that we find a way to be able to engage with our listeners. And we were aware that in this time, this particularly this time of COVID and in the situation that we're in, where we're all kind of in a, in a still place, that people would want to engage with us the best way they could. And we decided to take advantage of technology and we formed what was now our thing, which has its own listenership. And it's the Box Number 512 Live After Show, which airs every Friday. Now, as, I'm, as, you, as, as our real listeners, as I'm sure you already know, our podcast airs every Friday at noon. And so afternoon, sometime that afternoon, Brianna and I like to go live so that we can shake the casbah and have conversation and fellowship and engage with you guys. And so when you do tune into our live after show, we ask that you just please engage. We want to hear. This is where if you have questions, we have thoughts. We're using a new system now so we can see your comments on the screen and they're scrolling. So please, 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 guys, tune in to Box Number 512 Podcast After Show Live every Friday on Facebook, on Instagram, and on the Box Number 512 page. We love you guys and we thank you guys for engaging with us. And um, before we leave, I also wanted to just say, take the time to dedicate this podcast to Amy Stevens. Thank you so much for your life. Your legacy will live on forever because you chose to stand up against oppression. And I feel like that makes you a warrior to the very end. And even though you didn't live to see your victory, victory will be, your victory is in the record books and will be shared forevermore as someone that stood up to the big guys and won. Yes. Until next time, y'all. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Box Number 512. And don't forget to subscribe and like all of our pages on social media. And don't forget to subscribe so you can see what we'll stock on the shelf next week. Bye.